Good morning. In the world we live in today, we're just constantly pulled into sin, and we need to confess those sins so that they will be forgiven. Please join me in this morning's prayer of confession. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We come to you in confession, realizing at times our mouths are a fountain of sin. There, at times we take your most holy name in vain. There are other times we say things to appease people but never intend to fulfill our promise. Other times we use words that shouldn't be a part of our vocabularies. Still other times we say things cruelly to get our message across or even call people names in our frustration. O oh Lord, cleanse our mouths and renew a right spirit within our hearts. Help us speak what is pleasing to you and seasoned with your grace and truth. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Colossians 1, verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Guidelines for living is also from Colossians 1, verse 10. And asking that the way you live will always please the Lord and honor him, so that you will always be doing good, kind things for others, while all the time you are learning how to know God better and better. Let's continue in our worship. Please stand as we sing our praise choruses.
time we'll receive our morning tithes and our morning offerings. Steve, you want to read about Amazing Grace? The ever-popular Amazing Grace was written by John Newton in 1779, and the tune is a traditional American melody which is arranged for this hymn in 1900 by Edwin Excel. The scripture reference for this great hymn comes from 2 Corinthians chapters 9, starting from verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for showering us with this most perfect gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. We give you praise for all the amazing grace that you've shown us both with our salvation and also with our lives. We give you praise and glory and honor and give thanks to you for the blessings of this life and what we have. Homes, cars, families, children, grandchildren. Oh, Lord, we are so blessed. And to be able to be free and to go about our daily activities. I thank you, God, for these blessings and for also being able to have bread on our tables that others don't. And they have running water and heat and air conditioning. Lord, we just give you praise. We're so grateful. Please accept our gifts and tokens of our gratitude for all that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's come into the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just give you praise and thanksgiving for being such a gracious and loving God. For all the blessings that you've poured down upon us, Lord. To be in this free country, Lord, and to be able to do and act freely, Lord. I pray for our government, Lord, that they understand that. They understand the hearts of those who even gave up their property to be able to make this a free country and all their wealth so that men could have guns to fight for their freedom in the Revolutionary War. I pray, Lord, that they'll have a heart. They'll get the heart that the early forefathers of this country had that prayed before every decision that they made on the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, that wanted to honor you in this new country and give people freedom to worship you, God, and enjoy you forever. Father, I want to thank you too, as my brother just wrote us a note to say thank you for you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us and our sins. We have so much, Lord, to be thankful. I pray also too, Lord, for a wife by the name of Heather, Lord, that she'll touch her heart. I pray for a son and for his driving for back to school and for a daughter, Lord, who um, that you'll be with her also and for her son who's going through difficulties right now because of all the issues that they're watching. Lord, I just pray that you'll watch over them and give them the strength that they need. I want to pray also too, Father God, for the brave men and women who protect us in this city, uh, county, and that uh, provide the necessary means for us to be lived safely in this community. We thank you, Lord, for them and for all those who are out in foreign countries who are laying their lives on the line, too, to keep and preserve this freedom. And Father in heaven, too, we come to you with those that we know that are struggling in our midst. I pray for Bill and Evelyn, Lucille and Karen and Kay and Joyce, all these who have been shut-ins and who can't get out anymore and want to be here to worship with us. I want to pray also for those that we know that are very sick and that I want to pray right now for our brother Everett as he begins to prepare himself for surgery tomorrow, that everything will go well and they'll get everything taken care of and healing will come to him. I want to pray also for Todd and his heart, Lord. You know he's had fluid again. He tried to get back to work and fluid again this week. He had to go home. I just pray for him. Pray for his wife, Angie, and for the chemo treatment she's getting. I pray also for Samantha Mama, who also has got brain cancer, and for Mark Dops also. For healing for them, Lord, and to remove that cancer from their bodies and their brains. I pray also, Father God, too, for Judy Lemon and her healing for her foot and continue to restore that and protect her in this time that um, she has to go around the scooter. I pray also, too, for a family that lost a son this week in our community uh, with fentanyl. Uh, Lord, I just pray for our young people to hear and see and understand and drop this evil that continues to come and invade our culture and take away young lives. Pray for a family, too, of a young lady that took her life this week, Jesus. Be with them as they struggle and as they try to put things back together. 
Pray also, too, for a friend that's battling mental illness right now, Jesus, that you'll help him also. I pray also, too, for Jason um, as he's recovering from surgery of cancer, Lord. I just pray that you'll bring healing to his body. I pray for my cousin, Nancy, who just had a double mastectomy. Just watch over her and bring healing to her, Jesus. And Heavenly Father, we pray for those that we know that are battling addictions. I think of Ryan and Jordan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch, all these who are battling the demon of the bottle. I just pray, Father God, for their healing and them to give themselves to you, Christ, and put down the bottle and put a Bible in their hand and start following you, Jesus. Lord, we pray also, too, for other issues that are going on in our world and in our community. I pray, Father God, especially as we deal with, Lord, um, the crises that are at our borders. I pray for wisdom. I pray for the international scene with China and Russia looming and other rogue nations. Lord, all this is serious. We thank you, Lord, that you know all that's going on. You know all that's going to happen, and you're in control. Give us that peace, Lord, to trust that. And now, Father God, I pray that you'll open up your word to us today. And that, Lord, each person will go away from here hearing what they need to hear. And that we can all grow, Lord, in you and to learn to love you even deeper. Thank you for this time now, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I remember when I was a little boy, we had a huge Jan- July 4th picnic at my uncle's house in northern New Jersey. He had a huge lake that he lived on. And I remember one afternoon on that July 4th, I was on the deck, no um, life preserver on. And I was probably about four or five years old. And I had my Uncle Benny, who was a character and thought he was funny. He was on in the water in front of this deck that I was standing on. And he said to me, jump. And I thought, as he held out his hands, that he would catch me. And so I wanted to be in the water by the big people, and I jumped, and he opened up his arms, and I went right into the water. And I continued to sink. I couldn't swim. And I was pedaling and trying to grab things, and I was filling up my lungs and my mouth with water, and I, 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 I couldn't breathe. This was a whole new experience for me. And finally, he grabbed me and pulled me out of the water. And I, (laughs) you know, it was the first time I ever thought how important oxygen was. And I was scared that I almost drowned. And today, as we consider what God is going to bring to the children of Israel... God wants his children to understand who he is and his love for them. And that he's going to dwell with them, but he also wants them to worship him in spirit and truth. What we know is that you and I all know as Christians that worship 
praise to our God is oxygen for our soul. Without that oxygen, the blood doesn't flow too well. And we miss out on the power and the comfort that it can give to us as we grow as worshipers of God. And oftentimes we don't understand how important it is in our own hearts and in our own minds to be a praising individual to God and to know who we're standing with. Because as you know, we are a nation and we've been built. God has created in us this desire to worship. People worship many different things. In Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, he talks about how people worship all kinds of things. And that's the way God has put it in our DNA, to worship things. Because when you have something greater that you worship it, it relieves the soul. And we see it in the fall at Arrowhead Stadium. The worshipers get a singing away. And we also see it sometimes in people who worship their money or their wealth or the things that they've had or accumulated. And we also see it in other areas. But the Bible tells us we were created to have this desire. Paul in Romans 1 says people will worship the moon and the stars. The soul needs that. But here the Bible shows us. God wants His people to worship Him in spirit and truth. That He wants us to understand what we're doing and come before Him and realize how great He is. Worship is declaring the worth of the person or the being that we're declaring. And what that does inside of us is incredible. And the Bible here speaks to us about Declaring that worship to our God. And that we understand that we need to not stay at a level, but move up. And that we understand that the God that we worship is the one who has all the answers to the questions we have. He is the one who also is the stability of life. He's the one who is holy totally other than any creature ever been seen. And that we live with him and that he is so limitless. And sometimes we forget that. And today God brings Israel and wants them to know that he loves them. And he wants to now, we're seeing a shift in Genesis. We saw that God walked with people. And he walked with his people. Even after they went through the Red Sea. But now God wants to understand that God is committed to dwell with them. And that he wants to be with them and give them a symbol so that they remember in their brains. That he's with them. But also that he wants to dwell within them. And what we know here is the scripture shows us that he invites us. You know, Christ invites us, God invites us into relationship with him. 
He opens the door and that we should be so overwhelmed with the grace that He shows us to do that and that our worship should be a desire to have that gladness that God gives into us. Jeremiah 32 says, I will give you a heart. That's what God wants to do. He wants to give us a heart that is fully sold out to Him so that we are relieved even in the most difficult, stressful times of our life. He knows Israel is going to have a lot of stressful times. He knows Israel is going to put themselves in a lot of difficult times. But he also knows that worshiping him, honoring him as who he is, will wring the relief that they need and the strength and the power to get through it. And he calls not only Israel, but he calls you and me. Develop a whole new different level of our communication and love for him in declaring his worth. And he wants us to do it with spirit and truth. He wants us to declare that to him fully. And he wants to deposit the wonderful benefits of declaring his worth and the tremendous dividends he wants to deposit in our hearts to build us deeper and stronger and broader in our relationship with him. Because he knows all that we're going to go through. He knows what we're going through now. And he wants to give us the tools to be able to handle those things. To grab hold of that. To understand his infinite worth. Because he should be our supreme value. And as we look at life, there's nothing more valuable than him. And that's hard for us. For the things that we see. And we know that if God gave us everything we wanted, everything, materially, physically, and he did not give him uh, ourselves to him, we'd be the poorest people on the block. Because without him, all this is meaningless. And so God wants to show the children of Israel, and he calls them into a new relationship with him. Just as he did with Moses. It's interesting. When Moses received the Ten Commandments. They went up with the 74. And when they got up there. He went to another level and left 70. And it was both him and Joshua. And then God said, okay, come into the cloud with me alone. He invited Moses even to another level. There for six days and later on for 40 days. And God showed them things that he wanted to do with Israel so that it can help them see that he was really for them. And so in the word this morning, he says, Then Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day, he climbed to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. He called him out. And what God wanted to do is to help him understand and see his infinite worth. 
He wanted Moses to see him as he truly is. He wanted him to understand how treasured and to value God more than anything in his life. And to realize you and I need to understand, and we do understand, I hope. There's part of God that we know that the Bible says is incomprehensible. We'll never know everything about God. We could spend all of eternity searching out God and still never come to the end of it. That's how incomprehensible he is. But he also, out of his grace and mercy, allows us to comprehend of who he is. We get glimpses glimpse of it. And scripture really gives us all that we need, the Bible says, for his salvation and to knowing him and to have communion with him. And it gives us that. And that we need to understand how incredible it is this God that invites us into a relationship with him. And what happens when we understand that and we begin to learn about him is when we get freed up inside. And that some of the things that cripple us, some of the things we give ourselves to, don't happen because we understand him and who he is and we don't need those things. I mean, sometimes I cringe at what people tell me about what they think about God. One guy told me, you know, God created the earth because he needed people. Really? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God did need us. That he's, the attribute is understood as acidity. God didn't need anything. And for a person to think that God needed them, is just incredible to me. God didn't need anything. He was fully happy and content in himself and in the triune God. He didn't need anything. But what he does do, out of his love, grace, and mercy, he creates mankind. And he shows them who he really is. And we are so blessed that he shows us his creation. He shows us his incomprehensibility, his, his beauty. He shows us his power. He shows us that he does not change or vary. And he begins to reveal himself. And my biggest encouragement for you today, if you want to get to know God, study it. You can even pull it up on the internet. Is study the attributes of God. And get the real picture of Scripture of what God is about. And it will surprise you. As you move that to a different level, because what that does is as you see God and your perspective gets to see more and more what God reveals himself to, your life changes because you know who you're dealing with and how to talk to him and that you worship him truly in spirit and truth. 
And one of the things that you'll discover, how far beyond God is than any of us. And one of the beautiful things is that you come to this realization that he is so far beyond this, you don't have to worry about things in life. Because he's in control. And he knows what's going on and that you can come to him and he will direct your ways. That's the beauty of knowing this God. And that this God is so amazing. He knew you even before you were born. He knew you when you were being formed in your mother's womb. He actually caused certain genetic qualities to be part of your DNA so that you could honor him. That you could understand that even before you put words on your mouth, he already knows what you're going to say. That's what the psalmist says. And that you know nothing in all creation can ever be hidden from God. And that his knowledge, he doesn't sit there when we discover something that some theologians are proposing today, open-hand theologians that are, I'm sad to even say they're in the church, that would say God is discovering things alongside of us. That's ridiculous. That's not the God of the Scriptures. God is never surprised. <laughs> he knows it even before it happens. And that we understand that because we understand this God, and we come and worship to God and we pray to this great God, we come to have a special kind of inner peace that the world is starving for but that we can have no matter what ever comes our way. To know and be assured that you have that peace. People talk about the peace of God. And it's beautiful. But to also have the peace in God when you're going through a trial. When you know somebody has been to God and knows Him and understands Him that deeply. And when they're standing or they're sitting on that butcher block paper in the doctor's office and they're sitting on it and they're told, you have three months to live. And they say, if that's the Lord's will, and that's what God wants. I'm good with that. That's powerful. Because that person has finally come to grips with the reality of who our God is. And that they not only have the peace of God, but they have the peace in God. Because they're sure of what he's given them. That they have been given the freedom to trust him by faith and let go of what is so precious to all of us, life, and allow death to take over because he's willed it. And faith comes that way when we know this great God 
and we understand him on a much deeper level. And see, in Exodus, God reveals to you, he says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, that they understand I'm with them and that they can give that kind of praise and glory and honor to me so they're settled and ready to deal with life in the great perspective that I want to give them. There are a lot of people who struggle with this because they don't want God's perspective. But as you know, as you understand that when you have that faith perspective that sees things God's way and is not afraid of anything in life, and that he will exactly show us. And here he's going to show them the exact way in which he wants the tabernacle made. The furniture. He wants Israel to understand and consume this whole idea of worship. And also to know he dwells with them. He wants them to see it. And so what God does is he lays out to Moses... The very thing he wants to share with them. He gives them relevant reminders that he's present with them. He wants them to make an ark of acacia wood. And many commentators believe that the acacia wood is really the human substance. And in the ark of the covenant it's covered with gold. And that, that's the symbol of deity. And that's the symbol for Israel thousands of years before of Jesus' humanity and his deity. He tells them the size he wants them to make it. And the length and the breadth. And that course, that ark, was so important to Israel's thinking. It was the tent in which God made it mobile so that they could get around. And they would pick it up every time they were moving. And they would set it up. The Levites would set it up. And there before them, they would have this visible image of his presence. They would have this showbread table. They call it the bread of the presence, that God is present with them. And 12 loaves of bread were made every day in which they set it apart to let the people of God know that he was with each tribe. He also set up the gold lampstands, the reminder of the light that God has shined upon them and the significance of that and how important it was to know that God gave them the light to see and now they're to be the light to the Gentiles as he spoke about early in Genesis. But you see, Israel forgot that. But here they had the presence anyway and they were shown the light in that dark room that God reveals himself to. And that lamp was there for them to understand that. And then also we know the Holy of Holies. The huge thick curtain that was across the Holy of Holies and inside was the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark they had the tablets of the Ten Commandments. God's law to the people of God. And that when they broke those Ten Commandments. They understood that. And inside that ark. 
was the solid foundation God laid upon them with the Ten Commandments. He also put in bread. Basically, the bread that they were given when they were wandering around in the desert. They had no food. And God wanted to remind them that He was there for them. And provided for them the food. And also Aaron's rod that had stuff growing out of it. To remind them that he continued to lead them through and through life. And that once a year, a priest would be elected by God or, and they would go into this holy of holies place beyond the curtain. And they would slay a lamb and put the blood on top of the two angels on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Signifying this forgiveness of sin in the children of Israel. And do it once a year. And that every time they moved, they picked all this up, up the Levites did. And they took the tabernacle with them to remind them that God was with them all the way. And here we see God's workings in their lives. The tabernacle had these curtains were huge. Moreover, you shall take the, make the, the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined line, blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them the cherubim skillfully worked into them. This was a thick, thick, thick curtain that was woven together. That's not easily to be broken. And then he also said, you shall take the court of the tabernacle. On the south side of the court, you shall hang fine twined linen in hundred cubits long for one side. And then he talks about, and you'll make a holy place. Holy of Holies. That's where I dwell with you. As I show you concerning the pattern of dwelling and all its furniture. So I shall make it. And all this he had, this intricacy, was for the children of Israel to get it in their minds and have the visible presence before them that God was on their side. That he was with them. And that the oil that was in the candlesticks was a continuous thing. A reminder to us of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us. And then he says he wants them to worship him. And that we in our own lives, as it says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, that you present yourselves as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable on God, which is reasonable service, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what God wanted for his people. This is what God wants for us to be sacrifices for him. Be willing to lay our lives down if need be. To go out and to share ourselves and not be afraid to be labeled. And that we 
walk in his way and not the world's. So easy to get caught up in. Now this is the reminder that he gave to them. And that he wanted them to have this so that they knew they didn't have to fear anything or anyone. It's so easy when you get tired or you get weary that you lose patience for God. You want to give up. There comes time when you Tom Landry once said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And sometimes that happens, doesn't it? We find ourselves saying to ourselves, I'm tired. I want to give up. I'm tired of this old song. The Bible here is showing us that God doesn't weary with us. Nor did he with Israel. Well, God speaks to them and shows them that this is how he cares for them. And he reveals himself. He wants them to see that there's nothing else can be trusted but him. I know that Sometimes we see things that we think are going to last forever and don't. All of a sudden one day we wake up and it's not there anymore. Kind of like a beautiful tree that I watched the other day in the storms down south that was there for hundreds of years and just collapsed. But God wants to know if with Israel that he's the only one they could trust. And that he will hold them. And he didn't want them to forget that, so that's why he developed the tabernacle. So they understood him. And that he wanted to live with them and tabernacle. And really, God is showing us a beautiful picture of what he does for us when he tabernacles with us. In the book of John, he says, the word became flesh, which he's talking about Jesus Christ. And he tabernacled with us. Last week we talked about Jesus' ascension. And that Jesus, Mary was holding on to him because she didn't want to let go. She was so comfortable with having him physically. And he told her he needed to go. So that he could come through his Holy Spirit and tabernacle in all of us. That we could have the Holy Spirit within inside of our hearts. And that this tabernacle that he made for Israel was just a temporary thing. It wasn't permanent. God had a bitter plan for us and for Israel. And we know that when Christ gave out his last words on the cross, we know that this curtain, which was very, very difficult to cut, split in half. 
and allowing us to now experience fully we don't have to go to a priest. We don't even have to go to a pastor to confess our sins. We can go openly before God and confess our sins. And that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ. And that we can see his glory as he works to change our hearts and forgive us. And know of our future eternal destiny. And what God showed Moses was just a shadow. There are 2,800 major religions in this world that depend on the person acting a certain way to get God to be pleased with them. And there's only one that has a Savior that died for him. There's only one who broke down this wall for us. That's Jesus Christ. Who wants to give us the security in our lives that no matter what we face, we can go through. Because as the closer we get to God, the more we know who He is, the more free we are to be able to stand and to do what we need to do for the glory of God. It's kind of like what happened at the Golden Gate Bridge when they were building it. They lost 25 people and fell off by building that Golden Gate Bridge. And then when they put a net underneath it, they didn't lose anybody else. And people were willing to do more and take really bigger risk in getting the job done and not fearing falling because they'd just fall into a net. And I see a lot of times we as Christians fear when we don't need to because God has got his net underneath us. And the more we know him, we understand that net is there for us and that we can trust it. And here, the writer of the Hebrews, beautiful book, trying to talk to Jewish Christians who now had family and friends trying to talk them out of it and trying to show them that this Christianity wasn't all that it's barked out to be. And the writer goes through that this Jesus Christ is greater than angels. This Jesus Christ is the greater high priest. This Jesus Christ is the greater sacrifice. Because it's eternal. And what the writer here says, for since the law has been but a shadow of good things, it showed us what good needs to be done. But it doesn't forgive us. It just shows us where we've gone wrong. Of good things to come instead of the true form of the realities, it can never buy the same sacrifices that are continually offered year every year, make perfect those who draw near. It doesn't make. It didn't make the Jews perfect. It can't make any of us perfect because it was had to be sacrificed by a human being who sinned himself and they had to do it year after year and it never forgave them. 
The writer goes on to say, every priest stands daily at the service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time the single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It was a once and for all sacrifice. You see, because like a shadow, I don't know if you can see it, but I have a shadow behind me here. But that's not truly who I am. It's just reflection from a light. This is who I really am. And the Bible is saying that all that stuff in the Old Testament was wonderful and taught them about God's love for them and care for them. But it was just the shadow of which now we as privileged believers have. And what we need is, he talks about confidence. <laughs> that we should be not afraid as we live in the presence of God. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place of the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies watched with pure water. You know, one of the saddest things sometimes I hear from Christians is I feel like sometimes they're still living in the shadow. Because you'll ask them, well, do you... And you know they've know Christ. They've given their lives to the Lord. But then you'll say, well, well, when the Lord takes you, I hope so, hope so. We shouldn't doubt that at all. We should have the assurance that whether we live or die, we are his forever. And there's no, should be no doubt. And that's why the writer is saying, the confidence we have is that Christ broke down that curtain and that we could go in and confess our sins and that he bought for us eternal life and that we can draw near to God with what? Full assurance. Not afraid. Not doubting. But fully assured. I read a funny story the other day about a pilot on his plane. And he was... Uh, they were delayed for two or three hours at this airport. So they let everybody deplane. But there was one man that was not deplaned and the man was blind. And so the pilot went up to him to try to be nice to his customer. And he said, uh, can I help you with anything, sir? We want me to take you out and we can go through. He said, no, I don't, but my dog needs to go out. 
He said, well, I can take them with me. I'm just going to go grab a sandwich. And the pilot comes out of the plane with the seeing eye dog. And people wanted to cash in their tickets because they didn't trust the pilot. And Jesus is our pilot. And we have full assurance. I was cracking up listening to an old preacher by the name of J. Vernon McGee. I had been on one of these pilot trips before. I had flown to uh, Florida on a conference. And I had a flight in Denver. And then from Denver, we went over Memphis. And Memphis had this huge storm. And I never, in all my flying days, had a flight like that. You know, when you're looking out the windows and the, the plane wings are going like this. And all of a sudden, you hit an air pocket and you go, boom. You dropped a couple feet. Scary. Well, J. Vernon McGee said the same thing. He said that happened to him one time. He didn't like to fly anyway. He said, we hit this turbulence, and there was a guy in front of me who just kept on saying, I've never had this before. This is crazy. We're going to die and all this kind of stuff. And the guy across on the aisle was sleeping. He said, and I'm scared to death, and I'm saying all kinds of prayers. <laughs> and then when we finally landed, and we were safe, he thought about the whole thing. He talked to the guy next to him that was sleeping, and the guy was a pilot. He was through this before, and he knew that they were going to be okay. But the guy in front of him wasn't. And he said, you know, we all stepped in that plane with faith, trusting that plane was going to get us there. And this pilot knew what was going on, slept through the whole thing. And we were scared. And we didn't realize what this guy knew. And folks, that's the way it is with us. Christ is our sure pilot. And we don't have to doubt our salvation. We don't have to doubt when Christ has come that he's surely with us. And that he has our best interest in his glory for us through that crisis. Because we know who he is. And we know the kind of God he is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Sometimes it's easy to talk and to understand concepts about you. But Lord, we also know that when we put that into action and that we truly trust you as you are, sometimes, Lord, it's hard for us to let go and to truly trust you. But I thank you, God, that you've given us faith. Not into some weak, man-made God, but you, an eternal God, who loves us and guides us and protects us and shows us what we need. And we thank you for being a God who laid your life down. 
And that when you hung on that cross for three hours and that all the justice that was deserved for all that sin, our sin, was thrown on you, Jesus. That justice was served. Justice was completed. And that our sin had been paid for. And you redeemed us for eternity. And that because we trust in you, in what you say, we now have no fear of life or death or angels or principalities and powers because you're our pilot. You're the leader of our faith who gives us the power to withstand all. Thank you, God, for being a loving God. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Please rise and let us stand and let us sing together as we read the benediction and then we'll sing New Life in Christ. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father. And may the power of the Holy Spirit be and abide in you and work in you this week to give Him glory. And it's through His name we pray that. Amen. New life in Christ, abundant and free. What glory shine, what joys are mine, what wondrous blessings I see. My past with its sin, the searching and strife. Forever gone, there's a bright new dawn, for in Christ I have found new life.